0: Let's pray together. Father, that is uh, the prayer that we offer to you this morning that you would draw us nearer to you. God, there's something about that proximity and that presence that is life-changing. Um, when our words fail, when we don't have the ability to fully grasp what we're facing or how to respond, Um, Just knowing that you're near changes everything. and, And I pray that that would be something that every single one of us are aware of today. And in this moment, God, that it would be a moment that is more than just a routine, more than just sitting in a pew and listening to a sermon, but truly being in your presence, feeling your Holy Spirit in this place, this is an opportunity to be in the presence of something sacred and holy that people for thousands of years and generations upon generations have done, have sought to draw near to you. God, we're grateful that that nearness is only possible through Jesus. And so we marvel at the cross and we give praise for the resurrection and this incredible reminder of your love that draws us near may we steward that gift so well and hold it so precious as we gather together now and we pray all these things in jesus precious and holy name amen and amen well good morning church family how is everyone this this wonderful sunday y'all doing well everybody doing well i always have to ask it twice one sunday i'm going to ask and you all are just going to have that energy and that response ready to go uh but it's so good to see you all and i love worshiping with you all and, and just being able to gather together as a community of faith, as a church family, uh, and, and to really explore what does it mean to, to live out this, this Christian life and this faith of following Jesus. And uh, what we're going to be talking about, is as you heard it referenced throughout the, the worship service, is prayer. That's going to be kind of the new area of focus for the next several weeks. It'll take us through the end of this month and through the most of February. And this is all attached to... Uh, the theme that we introduced over the last couple of weeks of being courageous, right? That The idea of 2023 is that we're going to kind of continually go back to that theme throughout the year of saying we want to live courageously. Now that we've fixed our eyes on Jesus and he's renewed us and he restores us, that, that should produce courageous people. And so we've had a chance to talk about that theme of courage, and we've talked about how we want to throughout the year, uh, yes, finish Romans, but also focused on several different subjects and topics that... It helps speak to that. How do we live courageously? And prayer is, is a fundamental aspect to following Jesus and then ultimately being able to live out a courageous life. And, and so this is a really important topic. And, and we wanted to start with prayer because prayer really is, in so many respects, very essential uh, to being a Christ follower, to being a believer. And, and we're gonna talk about that today. Really today is really just establishing and reminding one another the importance of prayer, the essential nature of prayer to our faith. And so I, I was trying to think of some way to correlate that, some sort of image for us to have in our mind, some illustration to, to talk through the essential nature of it. And um, naturally, I thought of food. That's what I do. I, I think, I mean, pick a topic. And I'm like, hey, you know, that reminds me of food. Uh, it just seems to be one of my love languages, and so uh, I was thinking about food, and, and I, do, I do think that when you 're working through the kitchen and you 're working through ingredients and recipes, you learn the value of things that are essential and, and i 've seen this play itself out in a lot of different ways, but especially through my children. Uh, my children have always loved to cook. Uh, we spend a lot of time in the kitchen in our home and and that's always been something that's been a part of kind of our family experiences. I think it's been aided uh, in the fact that when they were younger, they really enjoyed watching Kids Baking Championship and Chop Junior and all those things, which was, which was really interesting at, at the time, especially in the younger years, because they would watch an episode of all these cooking competitions, and then they would instinctively want to go and reenact it. And so when they were younger, they're like, all right, Mom, Dad, like you guys go sit at the table. We're going to make something for you, and you judge us. And that already in and of itself is very uncomfortable for parents, right? Being put in a position where you get to judge your children uh, and choose a winner. We're like, you both win, you know, and so it was really difficult. But they would go in and they would create something without any real concept of how to follow a recipe or ingredients. And so they would get you all hyped up and they'd walk over and they'd put something in front of you that wasn't recognizable and you would ask them what it was and they'd say, it's a melted Snickers with ketchup, you know, or something like that. And, and then you'd, you'd eat it, and you'd be like, mmm, so good. Uh, and that was all because they didn't really understand how ingredients and recipes work. But now, here we are many years later, and they've got it down. Like, my kids can, can actually go into the kitchen and make stuff, and we don't even have to be there. James uh, was, had a kind of craving for some brownies the other day and made these delicious brownies. Annabelle's already known for her famous pumpkin muffins that she can make. I mean, it's, it's really cool, to see it because they've understood now like these ingredients, this recipe is essential. Like you don't wanna forget the salt. You, you don't wanna leave out the flour or the sugar, right? And all these different things matter. And if you don't include them, then you're going to get something that's not anywhere close to what you were trying to make, especially if that ingredient is actually incorporated into the title, right? Like imagine making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich with no jelly, or chocolate chip cookies without chocolate chips, or grilled cheese with no cheese. Like it doesn't make sense. That is because those things are essential. So it is with prayer. Right? Like like it is essential. And it's, it's almost kind of ludicrous to think about having a relationship with God, following Jesus, and not cultivating a vibrant prayer life, right? Like, it really is um, almost like having a grilled cheese with no cheese. Like, prayer is so essential. It is so important, and yet, I think many of us can relate to the fact that we don't always know how to, how to foster that. Um, and, and we can create a life that maybe is, is uh, longing for or lacking in a vibrant prayer life. And so that's part of what this series is all about, is how do we establish that? How do we recapture its importance and then use it in a way that it translates into courageous living? And, and so where I really want to begin today is to start by emphasizing the importance of prayer by asserting and and suggesting and and making the case that that prayer is almost hardwired into the human experience, okay? And so before we even start from a biblical point of view, we'll get to the verse towards the end of the message. So before we even start with a biblical point of view, let me just make the argument that, that this is innate to the human experience, right? Like we're almost hardwired to be people of prayer. Now, whether we actually practice that and foster it, that may vary from one person to the next. But you can see this as a fundamental element throughout human history. And so let me, let me try to make this case. There are a couple of different ways that I wanna, wanna argue for that. And one is just looking throughout history and looking through the way that this is just a common desire, uh, within the human heart, and then we'll we'll make another argument to where we can see that through its benefits, and and so to to kind of walk through this, I'm going to be drawing from a lot of material from Britannica.com. I like Britannica as a source every once in a while because it just feels a little bit more objective, and it's not it's not an opinion piece or anything like that. It's just kind of stating facts and and history and things along those lines, and and so if you were to get online and look at Britannica.com and put in a search related to prayer or the history of prayer, you get a pretty good comprehensive picture, and one of the first things that, that that entry reveals is that prayer has been present in all religions at all times. Now, that's a really remarkable statement when you see it that way, Granted, I don't know that I've done all the exhaustive research to substantiate that, but it, it seems to be true, does it not? That, that every religion, in some capacity, has an expression of prayer. And this is not a new development. This has always been the case throughout generations, right? It, it exists in every religious experience. Now, there's a quote uh, in this entry on Britannica that, that speaks to just the fundamental nature of prayer across human history. It says, Prayer is a significant and universal aspect of religion, whether of primitive peoples or of modern mystics. Described by some scholars as religion's primary mode of expression, prayer is said to be to religion what rational thought is to philosophy. It is the very expression of living religion. Historians of religions, theologians, and believers of all faiths agree in recognizing the central position that prayer occupies in religion. They go on to quote uh, a a modern Christian mystic from India that says prayer is as important as breathing, right? And so, so their argument is not even just from a Christian point of view, right, but just fundamentally across all time, Uh, that prayer is is evident in every single expression of religion. And when you begin to look at it, and granted, when you consider the differences from one religion to the next, there are a lot of differences in terms of how people pray, who they're praying to, what they think prayer is going to accomplish. But there's also this common thread that, that Britannica then ultimately offers as somewhat of a definition for prayer and how prayer functions, that essentially the fundamental belief across every religion, is that prayer is this opportunity to connect with the sacred and the holy. Right? Like, it's this moment where you get a chance to connect with the divine. And, and it goes so far as to say it's not even just about communicating and, and trying to offer up words and speaking into the sky, but there's actually a belief that in those moments, you're experiencing in some way the presence of the sacred and the holy, of the divine. Now, when you think about that, that if that's kind of what prayer is, this, this moment in life where I have this interaction or this encounter, this presence with that which is sacred and holy, and then you ask, where does that come from? Right, like if, if all religions throughout history have had some sense of that, where did that originate? Where did that come from? Like did one religion start it and the rest copied it? Like, where does that come from? And that's kind of the great debate. And, and you'll see a lot of different opinions and points of views from scholars and uh, anthropologists and theologians and sociologists throughout all different angles. And you'll see a lot of things suggested in terms of the origins of prayer. Some people are going to argue for biology, right? Uh, but if, if you really kind of think critically about it, it's really hard to explain how the desire to speak to some higher presence or divine, sacred, holy being is a biological result, right? I mean, biology explains our hair color, it it explains a lot of different things, explains our eye color, our height, but it it doesn't necessarily explain why we feel the need to pray. Um, You think about other points of view that would say, well, the reason we pray is because we have these emotions, right, we get sad, we get pain, we get happy, we get joyful, And, and so our natural response then, because of those things, is to pray. But again, the pushback from that point of view is, listen, just because you experience those emotions, that might be the cause for the circumstances of your prayer, it doesn't explain the origins of prayer. Yes, you may experience pain, you may experience sadness, and so you may respond by praying. But that doesn't mean that from the very beginning, that when you experience pain, you, uh, you originated the idea that I should now pursue a divine realm, right, I should pursue some sort of sacred place. It doesn't really speak to the origins. It speaks to the occasions. People have argued for morality, right? Well, well, well prayer is a natural part of being moral. But again, many uh, historians can push back on that and say, look, and there, there have been a lot of virtuous people who have not been people of faith and who don't pray. It, it's not necessarily a moral thing. Probably one of the most. Common arguments for where prayer comes from is environment, right? That you learn this in your culture. Your culture teaches you, your environment teaches you, and so that's why you become a person of prayer. There's some truth to that, right? That a lot of times we we learn this from observation and from others. But again, that doesn't speak to origins because environment is a reflection of the people that compose it, right? And, and And it's a reflection of what people believe that bring into that environment. Right? It still starts with the individual that somewhere is going to say, I believe that I can enter into this moment of interacting with the sacred and the holy and the divine. And so if no one believed that, right, then, then environment wouldn't teach it to you. So environment doesn't create the origins. Environment just is a reflection of what people are bringing into that environment with those fundamental beliefs. So it's really hard to pin down. Right? When you really stop and think about it, like where did this Come from? And, and there's not just a simple, clean answer, but as you read through this entry, at least in Britannica, right, that's trying to just be this kind of objective point of view, the argument that they make, or the, the the best answer they can give, is that it really just starts with the fundamental belief in a higher power. Right? That that's that's the origins of prayer. That that in some way, in some capacity, the human heart creates an awareness of a higher power, of a supreme being, of a creator. And, and that's the only reason we really begin to pray is because we believe to some extent that there is a higher sacred, divine, and holy figure that we can connect with. And so you see all the different examples of that through different religions and their explanation of who that creator is or that supreme power. But without that, without that fundamental peace, you're not likely going to be prompted or drawn to pray. Right, And so it starts with that. And so, so what, what most historians begin to kind of wrestle with or uh, I guess kind of infer or conclude as they look through it is that no matter of how you begin to define the divine or you define and describe that holy and sacred realm, what inevitably happens across history and in all cultures is that because of the way the world is made and our place within it, we inevitably encounter something that awakens us to our frailty. Right? We see things time and time again that are more powerful than we are, things that are out of our control, whether that's the, the fear that the ancients had of a storm or the, the dependency upon rain for crops to grow, right, or, or the threat of an enemy. There are numerous moments in the human existence where you are hit with this idea that something is greater and more powerful than me and I need help. And that's where it starts. That moment of of an awakening to understanding our place in this world that something is greater, even if we can't name it, even if we don't understand it. And when we face that moment of, of need, we cry out and we say, Come Help me, come provide the rain, come provide protection, come deliver me from my enemies. Whatever it is, we cry out, we say come, be near. Every religion of all times has made that prayer. It's, it's innate, it's almost hardwired within us. Now there's another reason I would make an argument that it's somewhat hardwired within us and that's because of the benefits that it has. Now, prayer is a really hard thing to study, right? It's a hard thing to, to research because uh, not everybody defines prayer the same way. It's hard to really verify if someone is actually praying. Uh, it, you can't really measure the interaction with the divine, holy, sacred realm. And so it's a, it's a difficult subject to study. But what you can research is the impact that prayer seems to have on people that pray. And there have been several studies along these lines, and I, I came across several of them um, from several different sources. I, I drew them from some of the main news sources that we see, like CNN, Fox News. One article that I came across was Psychology Today. And so these, these studies that I'm going to reference really kind of come from uh, a lot of different sources. But uh, what you find with these studies is the impact that prayer has on us emotionally, mentally, and even physically. All right, so, so a lot of what you see associated with prayer in some of these studies is the way that it alleviates depression and anxiety. Uh, you, you can see that uh, documented in a lot of different studies. A Harvard professor did an extensive amount of research saying that people that pray regularly seem to suffer less from any signs of depression and anxiety. Uh, a similar study in 2009 got two different groups. Uh, who, were, who were suffering from those tendencies towards depression and anxiety, and, and they basically provided the same sort of investment and treatment and format and structure. The one difference between the two groups is that one group was encouraged to pray for one another in their sessions. And, and overwhelmingly, that group left those sessions with fewer signs of depression and anxiety and greater optimism for the future. Uh, You think about other emotional reaction studies have been shown that uh, prayer influences your response in aggression and anger. Uh, Couples that pray together are much more inclined to forgive one another and uh, not experience some anger and aggression within their relationship. So you see a lot of emotional impact. Uh, You also see some physical responses and even mental fortitude. One of the, the studies that I came across that I thought was really interesting uh, was highlighting the differences between meditation and prayer. And, and for this study, the distinction was meditation is really more about clearing your mind, right, eliminating distractions, whereas prayer is about a relationship with the sacred and the holy and the divine. And, and so what they did is they had two different groups again, and one was more meditative. And in the meditative group, what they did is they would focus on text and phrases and, and proverbs and things that were very self-affirming. Right, So it's about clearing your mind and, and focusing on the strength of self and inner fortitude and all that sort of stuff. And the other group was more driven towards prayer. And uh, this group would not just pray but focus on texts and scriptures and references to the nature of God and who he was. Now this is where, this is where the study I thought was great. Uh, because then once they did that, they had them dip their hand in near freezing water. And, and there was, I don't know, for some reason when I read that, I was like, I'd love to be the guy that come up with this study, like, and then we'll put their hand in ice cold water, you know, and just like, it seems so random. But, but they do, they put their hands in near freezing temperature of water, and what they discovered is that the group that was praying, focused on the nature of God, was able to keep their hand in that water twice as long as the group that was meditating. It, it seemed to suggest this resiliency, this, this ability to just kind of endure, And then you get into the medical world. And this is pretty remarkable too. Several studies have shown that patients uh, that are sick and that are hurting that believe in a good, loving, and caring God um, often find a pathway towards uh, better recovery. And those that don't have that belief and don't see God that way, it often declines. Uh, One study in particular that I came across that I thought was pretty interesting came from the uh, researchers at the Heritage Foundation And and part of what they, they said is that we found this logical reason that religion might influence physical health through mental health, through enhancing social support, and through influencing behavior so that it all has affected physical health outcomes. So what they're saying is people that pray and have a network of people that pray around them and it influences their whole perspective, we see an actual result in their physical health. And and so what was interesting about this particular quote was that one of the things that is evidence to this is that back in 1995, only 17 medical schools included something in their curriculum about patient spirituality. But today, more than 101 medical schools now teach something related to patient spirituality because they see a direct implication on their physical health. All right, so here's my point. It, it, again, seems to suggest that when we pray, things happen. Like, it, it impacts us emotionally, mentally, physically. So when you think about this, this common thread that every human heart seems to carry that, that longs to have this interaction with the sacred and the holy and divine, and then you look at the impact that it can happen, that it can have on you emotionally, physically and, and mentally and all those different things. it seems reasonable to conclude that you and I, you and I are designed and hardwired to pray. Like it's, it's within us. It's what you're created in many ways to do. It's, it's really significant. It's very important. And that's what we want to talk about today is the significance of it, the importance of it. And to really draw uh, that focus, I do want to now narrow it in from a more biblical Christian point of view. And and I'll start really just kind of with setting some expectations to what we hope to accomplish through the course of this series. Uh, Today we want to establish again just the importance of it, stating some of those obvious things. But then as we go throughout this series, we want to better understand it. We want to look at ancient and modern practices of it, Uh, We want to have an opportunity to really learn the different types of prayer and how to incorporate those things into our lives. And throughout the course of this series, we'll talk about just expectations we want to have of each other, ways to encourage one another and hold each other accountable to how we as individuals and as a community are praying together. Uh, Just as a reminder, this is a key conviction of our church. We are prayer driven. That's one of the the numerous key convictions that we have, and we often attach with it uh, an emphasis on fasting. And, and I do want to take a moment just to reference that uh, today, because one of the things that we'll unpack through the course of this series is is how prayer and fasting work together. And, and we want to renew that emphasis. Uh, we, we used to kind of have a push towards that, and, and we're shifting our strategy to it. Um, fasting was one of the things that we would encourage people to do, and we'd say, hey, pick a day a month for you to set aside to just pray and fast for your church. And let us know, and we'll send you an encouraging text and kind of remind you of that day, and the, the idea was that everybody would eventually choose different days and we'd have every day covered, right? And, and every day throughout the year, somebody would be praying and fasting for UBC and in our ministries here. That became really difficult to logistically manage and, and to maintain that sort of update and connectivity, and so we, we we're going to simplify that, but we don't wanna lose the importance of it, and we want to kinda take a different approach this year and say, hey, we, we want to still fast together as a church, pray and fast together as a church. And, and so what we're gonna do is rather than asking everybody to pick a day that maybe works for you on, on your own, we're just gonna pick one day a month where we say, hey, on this day, let, let's try to pray and fast for the things that God's doing at our church. Uh, and what we're gonna do is we're gonna pick the fourth Monday of every month, which just so happens to coincide with our deacons meetings. And I've talked about this with our deacons. And I've said, hey, when we're gathering together and we're thinking about where the Lord is leading us and we're often wrestling with different things that the church is faced with, how great to know that the church is praying collectively on those days. Um, If you're doing the math, you might have already figured out that's tomorrow. Um, And so you don't, don't feel obligated to have to immediately do that tomorrow. But maybe tomorrow can be a way that you start thinking about how we can do this more intentionally throughout the year. And, and the, the last bit of, of instruction that I'll say on this before I get back to the importance of, of prayer is that fasting is, at, at the end of the day, is, in my view, intended to be a trigger that is catalytic for your prayers. And so, so when you go without food, um, what happens is that you have a physical response that stirs up this longing, this craving. And, and when you do it in the spirit of fasting, when you have that physical response, you reorient it towards God, you say, you know what, I, I really need food. No, actually I need the Lord, right? That's what fasting is intended to do. And I recognize not everybody can fast uh, from food and sometimes we don't wanna do it to draw attention to ourselves. And so what are other things in your life that you can fast from that can provide that same trigger and reorient your longing towards Jesus? The one that I often go to as a substitute is my phone. That's a good one. Trust me. You wanna think about all the times throughout the day, you're like, I need to track my phone, I need to grab my, oh, no, actually, I need Jesus. So just think about what are the ways that you can do that and and we wanna continue to make that a real priority for us as a church. And those are some of the things we'll be talking about throughout the course of the series that accentuates, hey, this is important. Like this stuff matters. And and I wanna explain to you why it matters. The, the way that we've often referred to uh, prayer is we've borrowed this quote from Oswald Chambers where he says, prayer does not equip you for the greater work, prayer is the greater work. And that's actually the title for our series um, as we go throughout this discussion on prayer is the greater work. And And I love that because it elevates the importance of prayer. Now, what I wanna do for the next few moments is explain why prayer within a biblical framework is so important, why we can... Uh, confidently say it is a greater work. And as we work into this, I wanna, wanna offer the disclaimer that we're never gonna say it's the greatest work. The greatest work is obviously the cross in the empty tomb, right? That's, that is the essence of the gospel. But prayer is so intricately connected to it, okay? And so why is it that we say prayer is the greater work? This is hugely important from a biblical framework. And I want you to have kind of the context of what I was saying earlier about just the human tendency to wanna connect with the divine and the positive impacts, and where all that comes from, and how the scriptures give us some really, really powerful answers to all of that, okay? So so to, to unfold this, let's start with Genesis, okay? Let's go back to the garden. And we learn some really important fundamental truths about our existence, about God, about our faith, our belief, it is so essential and so critical. And one of the first things that we see that helps give us an insight to the importance of prayer is that we are created in the image of God. Genesis 1 and 2, very clear, both male and female created in his image. That's incredibly powerful. And part of what we learn from that. As we, we read and we study not just Genesis but the rest of the scriptures, that to be made in the image of God means that God created us for relationship with Him. Like that's why every single human heart has the design to be in relationship with your Creator. It's what you were created for to be with Him. You're in His image. It's hardwired within you. And so so what happens is that then sin enters the picture and that relationship is broken and rather than proximity and nearness, what do we get? We get separation. Right, and now here's where it all begins to kind of make sense because you can't live apart from God. He is life. He gives breath. He sustains you. So if sin separates you, That separation brings about death. And so death itself is evidence of this separation. And so now we live in a broken and fallen state that longs for that relationship. And human history is filled with people trying everything they can to fill the gap. And and a lot of times we run after all the wrong things thinking that that's going to be what fulfills us, that's going to be what we long for, that's going to be what we need, and they come up empty. But that's why every human heart at some point in time, no matter the religion, no matter the time period, is going to cry out and say, come near me. Because you were created to be in that relationship and your heart is desperately seeking to find it. It's trying to overcome this separation in this distance. It's why you long for a moment to be in the presence of the divine. And so what the gospel says is that no matter how hard you try, you can't fill that gap. You can't mend that relationship. You can't restore it. But you have a God who is rich in mercy and love, who takes on flesh and dwells among us and comes near. One of the first phrases from Jesus' ministry is, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. This separation is being closed. And so it is through the cross through his sacrifice, through his blood, it is through the resurrection in the empty tomb that now that chasm is filled and we are able to be brought into and restored to a right relationship with the Father. Only through Jesus. And so now that path, that avenue has been given a name. It's been given a purpose. We know that it is only through Christ that we can find that thing that we were created for, to be in relationship with God. And the moment that we discover that, the moment that our hearts are awakened to it, is in prayer. That's where it happens. Right? More, more than it happens in a church or in your car or in your, your bedroom at home. It doesn't matter the location. What ultimately happens is it's a prayer where His grace prompts you and draws you in, and all of a sudden, in that spirit of prayer, your heart believes that Christ was raised from the dead, and your mouth confesses that Jesus is Lord. It's in this atmosphere of prayer that redemption takes place, that sins are washed away, and we get to experience a relationship with God, it was the very thing you were created for. And it's found in prayer. It's why it's the greater work. And so so when you think about that, right? we need to recognize that when we don't have a vibrant prayer life, it's like starving yourself of the very thing you were created for. It's like creating a life where ultimately all you're really eating is, is melted Snickers of ketchup. But when you pray and you enter into that relationship and your heart is awakened to understanding this is why you were created, this is where you find fulfillment, it's like feasting in the very thing that God intended for you to have. It's so important. And so one of the things I want you to be asking yourself today and as you go throughout this series is, are you starving or are you feasting? Like, what's your prayer life look like right now? What, what sort of importance do you assign to it? And how do you continue to foster it in a very meaningful way? And that's what I think Psalm 145 verse 18 helps bring to light, It is just why it's so important. It kind of helps remind us of so many of the things that we're trying to to iterate here with this first discussion and this kind of foundational uh, presentation of why it's so important. And we, we, we heard it read earlier in the children's message, but let me read it to you again, and there are just three quick points that I'm gonna make for us this morning to try to bring this home. Psalm 145, verse 18 says this. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Let me read it again. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. So where I wanna begin uh, with just a quick reflection of Psalm 145 verse 18 is that phrase to call. And, and so obviously that that sounds and carries a similar connotation uh, of prayer. Right? it's a lot of what we do when we pray is we're calling on the Lord. Uh, but I want us to dig a little bit deeper to why that's significant and how that draws um, some of the things we've been talking to in the discussion. Because when you look at the Hebrew word for call, Um, another way to understand it is it means to summon. Now, I want to be careful with how I talk about this because a lot of times when you think about a summons, there's a level of authority that's in play. Like a king summons a subject and a servant into the throne room, right? And so I don't in any way want to imply that we have authority over our creator and we get to summon him into our presence. That's not what I'm trying to, to make a point of here. But that definition is still very important because summons is ultimately about proximity. It's about nearness, right? To to summon someone says, hey, I don't wanna just talk over the phone long distance. Like, I want you near. So when I call on the Lord, this is about nearness. This is about shared presence. This is about being in your presence. It is about being Near, which is why the first part of that verse says the Lord is near to all who call on him. This is about being in the same space with the sacred and the holy. Experiencing that presence. Not just throwing words up into the sky and hoping they land somewhere in some distant heaven. But actually being near, being in relationship with the one who created you. Now the word nearness, I love the definition here. Right? Because the way that nearness is defined uh, in this particular passage is that it implies proximity, right? which is part of what we're talking about with, with summons and call, but it's not just proximity, it's proximity in and intimacy. And, and one of the ways that I saw it described as I was studying was that it's, it's not in a, a passive nearness, it's an active nearness. And so let me try to give you an illustration of what I think this looks like, okay, uh, so that we can get a picture of it. Um, because it's easy to be near someone in proximity but without intimacy. And, and a lot of times we hate those situations, right? Like think about going to the movies and, and you are in a time period now where you get to log online and choose your tickets and reserve your seats in advance. And if you're like me, when you do that, like I don't ever choose seats next to someone, Right, like if there's some already taken, I'm like, I'm gonna have the buffer seat and we're going somewhere else. You know, I want some space. Same thing on a flight, correct? Like if you end up on a plane and you kind of catch wind that, hey, this isn't a full flight, you're kind of crossing your fingers and you're hoping and you're praying, hey, maybe I'll get the empty seat next to me. And inevitably, if you're in the movies or you're on that airplane and all of a sudden somebody sits next to you and it eliminates that and they're near you, there's always a little bit of a, a downer, right? You're a little discouraged, like, oh, man. And, and for me, a lot of times, especially depending on the situation, I will embrace in and in a, like a tolerate that nearness, but I will eliminate any chance of intimacy, right? Like, I'm not going to turn to the guy next to me in the movie and be like, man, did you like that part? Isn't this guy great? Like, I'm not striking up conversation with him. And a lot of times on the plane, I'm like, earbuds in, you know, eyes closed, I'm going to sleep. So my point is this, it is not hard to have nearness and not have intimacy, and that's not what we're talking about here. That is not the sort of nearness that God wants. Yes, he is everywhere because he's all-powerful, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent, but you can go your whole life and have a nearness to God because of those attributes and not have any intimacy, right? What's really being talked about here is, here's a different example, here's a different illustration. Think about a parent responding to the cries of a child, right, so, so if you're, like for us, a lot of times we're in the kitchen, kids are outside playing, And and imagine that scenario where you're in the house and you got children out in the front yard playing and and you can kind of look through the window and see what they're doing from time to time. You have an awareness of what's going on. And then when they call, mom, dad, you go running. But you run with intention. You run with intimacy in your mind because you are going to discern the nature of that cry. Right, like a parent's gonna be able to discern before they even leave the house, was that cry out of pain? Someone fell, someone scraped a knee, somebody broke an arm, I'm running and I'm going to arrive near my child with intimacy and with intentionality to mend and to heal and to care maybe i can tell by the way that they called for my voice that there's something exciting that happened something incredible happened something funny that's happened so i'm going to run with that intent to see it and to celebrate with them and to have joy with them maybe they're crying out of fear because the dog down the street is unleashed and it's run up upon them so i'm going to run with that intentionality to protect and to defend i'm going to come near with purpose i'm coming near to be active i'm coming near with intimacy and intention that's our father responds he knows your christ and he comes near to you ready to mend and to heal he comes near ready to celebrate and to be joyful with to protect and defend or anything else that you might need He comes near comes near to those who call on him in truth and this last one's pretty simple but very important That idea of truth means reliability. Uh, You heard Martha read it with a translation integrity. It means faithfulness. Put it this way, you have to believe it. Like you can't fake a prayer. You know what I mean? Like God knows. He knows. So when you call on him, it, it can't just be out of habit and out of routine. It can't be empty. It's got to be in truth. But when we call in truth, we experience the nearness of this relationship that we were created to have. And that's how I'll close this, is just asking you that question. Like, When you pray, do you truly believe you are entering into the presence of your creator? Do you truly approach those moments with that sort of truth and awareness? Because when we do, it changes everything about how we pray. I can tell you over the last couple years, it's changed me, um, and in ways that uh, I didn't expect or didn't even really understand, and hopefully by sharing just this personal testimony to it 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 can help bring some of this to light to clarity as we wrap up that that ultimately you know i've i've been trying to follow jesus since i was 16 years old and prayer has been a huge part of that and i've prayed in a lot of different ways and even now i think part of what we'll discover throughout the course of this series is there's a lot of ways to pray and uh you know i think we can all relate to all these different moments like sometimes we just pray um, in the moment when we hear something or we think of something, sometimes I hear a song on on you know Spotify or something, and I just turn it into a prayer and I sing it out loud in my car when I'm by myself. Or, you know, then a, a lot of times corporately or especially in our family, we we try to pray a lot together. We'll we'll pray before meals. We'll pray before the kids go to school. We'll pray before you know we go to bed. We'll if we see somebody in a car wreck on the side of the street, try to throw up a little prayer real quick. We see somebody asking for money. I mean. Uh, we hear about people in need. You know, we pray in all these different ways and settings. Um, try to do that with my wife. Every once in a while when the kids are down, uh, we pray for our marriage. We pray for guidance and wisdom and, um, you know, parenting and all those different things. We pray as a church family, right? Our staff gathers regularly. Every time we gather, we're, we're praying for you all and the needs that we're aware of and the things that have been brought to our attention. Um, we can all pray in a lot of different ways, right? And And every single one of them has... Uh, significance and meaning, and, and they're really sacred moments. But can I just tell you, for me personally, the way I've been shaped the most by this are those moments where it's just me. And over the last couple years, something has developed or changed. I, I can't really explain it in its entirety, but when I have these quiet moments, and the most consistent times where I have this are actually Sunday mornings uh, before I come in here. I'll carve out a few time, few. Minutes just to be by myself to pray. And, and when I'm good, um, getting up early at home before everybody else is awake and just going to the Lord in prayer. And in those moments, here's what I have found, my heart saying, I will get down on my knees and I'll start to pray, and one of the first things I feel led to say is, Lord, I miss you. And that's weird to say in some ways, But it is the most honest, transparent emotion that I feel in those moments. And I feel like what it's doing is capturing so much of what we're trying to say is that there's something within me that recognizes that what I was created for was to be in relationship with my creator. And it's really the only thing that's going to satisfy me. It's the only thing that's going to be a place where I find fulfillment and meaning and purpose and stability. It's the only one. And so when I get a taste of it, I want it. And when I've gone without it, I've missed it. And my soul longs for the day where it is eternal. Because that's what we are created for. And it's some of the most sincere and honest prayers I can pray. And I'll, I'll tell you, it's changed My favorite moments of the day is being able to just come before God and say those things to him and feel and believe that I'm actually in his presence and he is near. And when we have the opportunity to feel that and experience that and to know it, what we discover is that prayer is not really limited to just coming and saying, God, help me with with my money, help me with my illness, help me with my job, and help me with all these other things. What we really begin to discover when we see how prayer is this avenue to be in that relationship is that all we really need is him. He's the only thing that fulfills. All we need is Christ so let me encourage you church as we enter into this season let us pray courageously because we see it important because we know that the lord is near to those who call on him so let us call on him in truth let's pray father in heaven what a remarkable thing to know and to believe and to trust that you are here in this moment, that you have drawn near to your people. That these are not prayers that are empty and in vain, but that God, because of Jesus, we can have confidence and assurance that through your rich mercy and grace and love, you are in our midst. And these moments of prayer that remind us of your presence and awaken us to the relationship You desire to have with us god are sacred moments that put everything into perspective and they help our hearts find what they truly long for they help our our souls long for what we really need which is you and for that god we are thankful we are grateful and so god we pray that as we continue throughout this day that we would have all these opportunities to enter into your presence, to offer prayers in public, with families, with friends, in solitude and on our own that awaken us to the incredible promise of you being near. We thank you for that, Father. And we pray all these things in Jesus' precious and holy name that makes that nearness possible. Amen and amen.